0: And I think humility is really huge, too, um, in terms of entrepreneurship, because you're going to get kicked down a number of times and you have to keep getting up.
1: Our featured speaker today is an independent management consultant, Co-founder and director of Nuvi Building Solutions, an executive board member with Beacon Chain, and member of the Valhalla Angels, a private capital company. Abu, it's such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much for making time to share your journey with us.
0: Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure.
1: So I, w- I know you kind of, you know, talked us through a little bit of your backstory. Uh, but I was wondering if you could maybe more formally talk about your experience growing up and about some of the early life events, maybe some of the mentors you see that had a strong influence on who you became and where you wound up.
0: yeah, definitely. Um, i I grew up uh, I was born in in West Africa in Nigeria, um, and uh, my parents moved. Us to Saudi Arabia when I was six years old so spent my formative years there and I think very early on um, I realized that my passion was entrepreneurship you know I think at the age of nine nine years old nine or ten I started my first business and you know I saw an opportunity where it was scorching hot in the summers getting up to 50 degrees Celsius And um, at the end of the school days, all the cafeterias were closed and all these kids were waiting for buses and parents to pick them up and there was nothing for them to drink. So I went to my mother and I said, I'd like to buy little, you know, uh, box juices and freeze them overnight and put them in a cooler so that by the end of school, they'd be ice cold that I can sell them. Well, I'll tell you very quickly, I was selling out every day. Very soon I expanded. And started selling chips with it for the hungry kids. And eventually I recruited my best friend to also buy, uh, a, you know, um, a flat of boxes of juice and freeze his. And we had the, quite the enterprise going until our principal shut us down. But, uh, you know, moving on in, in later in life, um, I started looking for other opportunities. Um, you know, very early on, I think mentorship came. Uh, from my parents, who were very, very, they were academics, but uh, were very keen on letting us explore ourselves uh, in terms of our interests and and different types of activities. You know, I moved on to importing snake skins um, and exporting them to Turkey to friends of my, my uh, parents of my friends. And, you know, as I grew up later on, um, one very key thing that I I was taught was to seek mentorship so um, early mentorship started with my parents during the university years um, through some of the jobs I had taken I found some mentors who helped me develop specific skills in terms of uh, people skills and also how to navigate different systems um, be it legal or uh, commercial and down the road I've had even uh, more significant mentors who have led me to all the opportunities that I, ha- that I have right now. So I think that was a key thing, Nancy, you mentioned, is mentorship. And uh, I don't think I'd be where I am without some of those key mentors. Um, you know, I, I moved to Canada in my teens, started university at 16, and uh, stayed here uh, since then. And I've spent, you know, about 25 years uh, primarily living in Western Canada.
2: Thank you so much, Abu. I really appreciate you going through that with us. I find it so interesting what you've said about mentors and the impacts that they've had on you. If you don't mind, I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into that in, in, in the one sense, how do you find someone that you'd, you feel would be a good mentor for you? And in another sense, how do you uh, make sure you're also delivering value to a mentor?
0: You know, I think, Mentorship is reciprocal. Um, you know, all the all the mentors that come to my mind, they the relationships were formed organically. You know, we were either in a working relation, mostly I'd say we were in a working relationship, or through a working relationship where we both really appreciated each other's either passion, ambition, uh, accomplishments, or um, you know, zeal and work ethic, and with that you know you're naturally attracted to to each other and you form let's say an initial friendship and i think the mentorship aspect you know uh without without having to define you know this is what mentorship is i really think the mentorship aspect grows organically uh, and it comes from two two things a person who's willing to help somebody that they feel is walking down a path similar to theirs and then a person who's Um, who's humble enough to ask for assistance and know that they don't know everything. Uh, And I think when those two things happen, you find really amazing mentorship. Um, And, you know, in terms of adding value, that person gets value from seeing you being successful. That's really what they are looking for. And the true mentors, you know, they still call me. One of my mentors just called me Canadian Thanksgiving. I hadn't talked to him for almost a year, but he has made an invaluable imprint on my life but and he will me him and i will always touch base to see how things are going in life um and if we either of us have you know things to talk about we just just pick up the phone and continue where we left off so i think it just has to have you have to realize that this is the person i want to gain knowledge from i love interacting with and be humble enough to go out there and ask the questions. And I think the mentorship relationship happens
1: organically. That's such a great perspective. And I really appreciate the way you frame that question, Spencer, too, because it really is a two-way relationship. Um, And and clearly you've had value on both sides of that equation, Abu. So thank you so much for that. Um, So I loved your story about how you had the entrepreneurial itch since like age nine. Um, And whether you want to use that experience to reflect or or just who you are now. I was wondering, you know, in your opinion, what do you think are the most important character qualities an entrepreneur should possess?
0: Oh, you know, I, I, I still believe I'm a work in progress. Um, what, one thing I have done is surrounded myself with people who have accomplished things that I would have wanted to accomplish and maybe have since accomplished. Um, and I think the qualities that I have seen and I have tried to 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 replicate in myself are number one, perseverance, um resilience, creativity. and um and I think humility is really huge too, um, in terms of entrepreneurship, because you're going to get kicked down a number of times and you have to keep getting up so you need to be humble and learn from your lessons but uh, at the end of the day it comes back to that number one which is resilience always moving forward and not giving up and i think around all of that there has to be a passion for what you're doing you know i have made the mistake in my in my career of pursuing things uh, that i was not passionate about but seemed to be uh, economically viable or you know um, rewarding and at the end of the day whether they are or not if you're not passionate about it um you know the 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 the, the harm or the the work that you put in may outweigh the reward um because at the end of the day if you want to be creative you want to create something that's groundbreaking you have to be passionate about it
2: Absolutely. I think one of the biggest factors is persistence. And you're never ever going to get really persistent on something without having a passion in it. It's how you get that motivation where you don't, you know, maybe you don't feel you have the energy or whatever, but because you're passionate, you can pull yourself up and do things. I think that passion is so necessary. And I understand where you're coming from when you say you've tried to work on something that you aren't passionate about, but that made economic sense. And it it's just not nearly as easy to stay motivated and persistent, in my experience. Now you have a very you have a very varied portfolio of incredible companies that you've been part of. What led you to want to use your skills and experience to start a building company?
0: <laughs> uh, serendipity and mentorship. You go. You, you know. You asked an important question, and. Um, I, I was involved in, in, you know, in a different business, um, that, that involved livestock. And one of the people that I brought on was, uh, the president of, um, one of the, you know, animal associations here in, uh, in, 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 Western Canada. And, uh, he became a mentor of mine. He was a previous CEO of a number of building companies that did structural steel and, um, and the fabric membrane buildings um and you know similar to what i had mentioned before one day he just calls me and he says you want to book a ticket you know um let's fly out i want you i want to show you something and i was like well yeah no problem where are we going he's like we're we're just flying to vancouver book a ticket we'll fly in and fly out the same day and it was a tuesday we're gonna fly out on a thursday and at this point I had been part of the, you know, the MIT uh, boot camp. I had joined Valhalla and had traveled to a number of Central American countries through Canada as well, and had seen hundreds of pitches, invested in a number of businesses as an angel. And we flew to this company's uh, headquarters in downtown Vancouver, and they went through the pitch. And I had never seen anything like this in my life. I had never seen the the level of board of directors, I had never seen um, CEO founders who had that much experience and had built a number of very successful businesses in the past. And most importantly, I'd never seen a product that could really disrupt an industry that has not been disrupted in hundreds of years before. Um, and immediately I, you know, um, I jumped on board and. Um, You know, invested initially in the parent company, and then we we set up a licensing agreement to manufacture this technology, Um, and it's become the fastest growing company, fastest growing unicorn in Canadian history. Since then, over a span of three years, and it's been such a wonderful journey. But again, it comes back to having that mentor, being accessible, and communicating. Uh, And that's how that all came about. So I was never, I had spent some time in industrial construction, but I was never um, a building technologies guy. Uh, But I love startups. I love disruption. And when I saw what this product could do and how it could change so many aspects of how humans live around the world, I was fully sold. And more importantly, I knew the team and the board could execute this. At the level and you know first customer was starbucks they saw the vision and it's just been an amazing ride since then
1: that's such an incredible story so i i wanna just not exactly play devil's advocate a little bit but um you know we we try to make this a space where it feels comfortable that to talk about your victories and and the not so sweet parts too (laughs) um so given your experience what did you find you know to be the most Kind of challenging stage. Was there any point that you, um, you know, kind of hit a wall, had to make some sort of pivot, and what did that teach you?
0: In my overall career, you're you're asking, or in this particular enterprise?
1: Yeah, more specifically to um, to entrepreneurship. So, you know, if you feel like there's a better example than this company and everything. Has been smooth sailing. Then that's amazing. No. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was I was wondering because it seems like they've experienced rapid growth, which is amazing. But usually, um, usually there's some difficulty there too.
0: Yeah, you know, I I think I'll 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 answer your question in two parts. One um, with this project, rapid growth come with rapid growth comes a lot of. Uh, learning curves that then need to you know also rapidly be 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 met, and with that finding talent, um, funding, you know you you can only throw so much money at something when you're trying to innovate. At the end of the day, you know you have customers banging down your door wanting a product. You're trying to get production on the line. Um, and you're also learning at the same time, you know, I think, uh, the CEO said it best is like, we're, 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 we're building an airplane as we're flying it. And that's the reality that, that we've seen. Um, and I think the biggest challenge there, when you have rapid, rapid growth is making sure you're making the right decisions. Um, and I think for the most part, those have been, have been done. Um, but when I look, when I break it down into real, little granular pieces of struggles that we've had to go through over the last three years i would say that there have been some challenges that we thought were insurmountable you know um you know without going into detail for for confidentiality reasons um there there have when you're trying to build a product that needs municipal approvals you have to go through different types of testing um it's totally new it's novel sometimes You're trying to test something and it's so much stronger than anything that's been tested before it ends up breaking the machine. Um, so now the testing facility has to re-engineer a new machine to create a test. Like there, there, there's tremendous technical, financial marketing, um, you know, uh, employee, um, shareholder challenges that you're going to go through. Uh, but the important thing is to have a team that's on board to ensure that you're you're going down the right path and to help guide you through it and to make sure that you're all persevering through it. Um, the second part of it is, you know, I think some of the challenges that I have had in in my career have been um, number one, under you know, one of the biggest setbacks that I have had after spending many years with a business is. Uh, making sure that you are very carefully documenting relationships. Um, you know, you you if you have any dependencies in terms of supply chain with with other with other companies that uh, you you may have not developed that much of a of a, a long term history with, you can get cheated. And we we were. You know there were times where we got cheated and we basically lost our whole production line and our ability to supply to customers uh, because the the there was circumvention where a company went right around us and started selling to our customers so these are all challenges that you face in business but at the end of the day like you know you get knocked down you get up um, you seek counsel you seek legal counsel you seek mentorship uh, you work with your team and keep persevering but don't 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 get me wrong. It's not all been rosy. There've been a lot of lot of humps, and it seems like every every time you see a clear lining, another one comes, and that's just the challenges of life.
2: Absolutely, it, it it's definitely not a career path where things are all laid out for you and everything is exactly the same every day. I um I definitely understand that, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um I. I one thing I did want to dig into a little bit more is the, the mission of building residential, commercial, and industrial properties in a sustainable and net zero manner, which is something that I think the whole world needs to be on board with if they aren't already. Um, well, uh, and I imagine the challenges can come not just from the technical perspective, but in your perspective, what is the most challenging aspect of that of making that vision a reality?
0: I think the biggest challenge that you have is getting, um, local approval, you know, customers, when they see a building that is fire, fire resistant or proof, um, size has amazing seismic tolerance is, is water resistant, um, uh, mold resistant. And has all of these attributes um, that has walls that are stronger than concrete or even granite. Customers like it. They love it. And it's sustainable. It's green. It has no red listed um, ingredients in there. That's easy. But now when you approach uh, a, a local municipality, when you approach a local municipality and um, you you try to 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 get licensing to produce these buildings now, that's where you face some of the biggest challenges, because regardless of the test results that you have, regardless of uh, the customer acceptance that you have, most of our bylaws and and building codes are based on stick built construction um, for residential, potentially um, uh, concrete or cinder block in parts of the world. And uh, at the industrial level, you're looking at tilt up concrete construction. So you you know it's um, it's very difficult to to create a building um, that or a number of buildings unless they're replicable. If you have replicable buildings, that's where you get the economies of scale, and that's where your business can can really thrive. Now, um, if you're creating one-offs, which is the most of the case in commercial. Uh, other than commercial retail units like you know the Starbucks and the drive-ins, uh, the the McDonald's of the world that they're they're almost always the same everywhere you go. Um, there's a lot of engineering cost that goes into building a building that uh, is basically you know modular and prefabricated and can be put up in in two or three days rather than months on end. So the the costs are prohibitive. To, to engineer initially, unless you get a large marquee client like um, uh, that, that has replicable design, but then also getting municipal approvals. Cause if you have that design and you do it in New York, once you go to Los Angeles, you're gonna have to apply again uh, under building codes un- until you get an approved building that's federally approved. So some of those are the challenges that, that, that are being faced um, with sustainable buildings right now. Uh, will they be overcome? We totally believe with the Biden administration right now, there is a lot of uh, focus on, on on green and um, that is that is where the future is headed, at least in the United States. Europe is well ahead of most of North America already for, for regulation behind that and uh, working on sustainability, so it becomes a lot easier. And then other countries in the world that are looking for uh, very resilient homes. Can really expedite some of these uh, approvals because, uh, you know, look at places like the Bahamas where they're reconstructing every year after a hurricane. If we can deliver homes to them that are resistant to all of these natural disasters, um, in a heartbeat, they will be accepting them. And so we see huge demand. We see governments looking at this, um, uh, you know, knowing that if all the testing has been done and these are safe. Uh, look at them for approval much sooner than what we've seen in the past. But those are some of the hurdles that we will likely face for the next few years.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for um, explaining that. I mean, honestly, I think we could probably talk about green technology for this entire discussion. Um, so good table, some of that for a future discussion. Um, and I'd actually like to pass to Artero, um, who has a question for you.
3: Hey, Abu. Good morning, everyone. Good morning Hey great to hear you uh, so yeah one question is in it's related to culture within startups so how important have you learned culture is and what role it plays in the building of, of a successful startup um, like what have been your major lessons regarding culture and this is like a two-part question, and the other question is like, what things do you actively do to build a culture um, within within your venture or startup?
0: Yeah, very good questions. Um, you know, I think the first part is how important is culture. I think um, that 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 really depends. You know, on the early stages of a of a startup when you're. Uh, I think culture is kind of a given where you have a number of partners who choose to work together as whether co-founders or, you know, a development team. Um, You mesh with the people you work with most of the time. Otherwise, as a startup, you do you you pivot and you 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 change some of those and move on. So. I think it's less important at the early stages because a culture has not been established, a corporate culture. It's just a number of people working together. But as you grow, uh, maybe after the first few raises and now you're building a team, I think that's where culture is very important because you're working in a very stressful environment, especially if there's rapid growth. Um, People are working 60, 70 hours a week. Um, They can easily go find a job that pays them more for the hours uh, that they're spending and they need to feel fulfilled that they are number one achieving a purpose at the end of the day that they believe in what the product or the service is doing. And number two, they need to feel that they will be part of the bigger picture of this down the road and that they enjoy working with the people that they are working with. So that's where culture development starts becoming crucial. And I think that gets overlooked a lot by startups at uh, the fast acceleration phase. Um, and you need to have somebody who is very uh, seasoned in building cultures. Um, and I believe that, you know, once you get a few raises underway, that's where you, you bring in a HR professional uh, to work with the leadership and help them create a culture. Because at the end of the day, um, leadership is the one that actually Moves the culture through, um, and um, but they do need some assistance to to do it. So, um, I, and I think that was the second part of your question: is how do you build that culture, right, uh, Arturo? You know, and I think that has to be a conscious effort where where leadership says this is the type of place that I want to create for people to come and work. If they're spending most of their lives uh, working over here, working. I need to create a culture where this and this and this and this, and they need to define that, you know, have what, whether you call it, uh, you know, a mission statement or a mantra, uh, whichever way you want to look at it and work towards that, live it, breathe it, uh, and make that be the the North star that, that, that guides them.
3: Yeah. Thanks a lot. That's very insightful and, and very helpful. Thanks for the question.
2: Thank you so much for that answer, Abu. I think that was really, really great. And I think it's interesting what you said about at the very beginning of a startup, a culture isn't that important, not because it doesn't have an impact, but because you'll very quickly know if it's not going to work. Um, you know, things will change. And I think that's such an intelligently thought-out point, and I really appreciate that.
3: Um, now, Andrew has some questions. Hey Abu, good to to have you on this. Um, do you have you had experience? I would say, for lack of better word, run-ins with government in terms of, um, you know, really exceeding the requirements. Um, because the current codes and zoning and stuff like that all specify minimum standards versus LEED and and uh, Green Building Council and others are exceeding these things
0: yeah yeah I I think for the most part that is the case you know the difficulty is when you're doing rapid large-scale construction um, most most municipalities have what they call alternative building standards that's where you know a lot of LEED certified uh, passive home which a lot of ours are at passive homes um, specification uh, can meet The difficulty is now you have to have somebody on your team who's going down there each and every time applying for um, an alternative building standards permit, even though you're exceeding all the requirements in there. And what they need to do is because you're not building the same way as what those standards were, were made for, you have to prove how you exceed or meet each and every one of them. And when you're doing hundreds of buildings in many municipalities, that's where the challenges become difficult. Until we get to a point where there is a recognized green building standard that says this material, this material, this material, if it passes this and this and this on a federal level, um, you can go ahead and uh, apply uh, for for building permits without having
3: to prove all
0: of those things.
3: Thanks. Thanks for that. Um, So has there been any consideration in regards to some sort of fast track like. In where, for example, in our case with smart cities, we've worked with the government to come up with a right of way agreement that will potentially fast track smart city projects. So similarly, I wonder in your case if there's a way to, you know, engage with government to fast track sort of some have some sort of agreement based on predetermined standards. You've already started to. perhaps fast track stuff like that
0: yeah i I definitely think that those are conversations that have been had and um, we're already having a lot of success here in canada um, on the on the commercial and industrial um, building standards so we are getting fast track you know i i think some of the building permits have come out um, almost at par with a, a regular building permit um, but it did take some initial education on on the first few ones that we had applied for. So it's just a matter of working with them and um, them seeing the vision and supporting it. Um, but definitely those are our options that are, that are available. And as, as a greater team is being pursued, both in Canada, the U.S. and currently as well in Europe.
1: Thanks so much for explaining that. Did you feel yes, did that answered yes, your, did. Uh, I'm, I'm your to, questions, to Andrew, and before I Thank you. hop in? Yeah, me too. And thanks so much for the, the question, Andrew. Um, if you don't mind me adding on to that a little bit, Abu, um, I've been more aware of uh, some of the barriers to building at like the city council level in the U.S., and I was wondering... Uh, maybe even just from a commercial perspective, are you um, conscious of some of the the differences between building in the U.S. and building in Canada? Um, and if so, you know, is is Nuvi um, or its partners making an effort to attract more builders to yeah, Canada? You know,
0: at Nuvi, we I was just
1: sort of we wondering currently how to
0: have that. more work that we can handle. Uh, and we're, we're in the process of setting up a manufacturing facility here in Alberta, um, without, you know, there's only so much I can share. So I have to be very careful in answering, um, commercial questions here specific to our, our enterprise. But, um, we have been able to, like, there's been tremendous amount of interest um, the biggest issue we're having right now is just keeping up with with, with the level of interest and b- being very selective of our clientele. Um, you know, some some of the buildings like the Marriott uh, is is close to being completed in Nanaimo, um, Starbucks, um, more stores are going up. So we're 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 trying to really hone in on the type of buildings that make the most economical sense uh, have the best partnerships. And in terms of builders, we, you know, um, new uh, we do have a sister company that is putting up buildings right now, working on, on those ones that I had mentioned, and we do the erection and, and completion of the buildings. So I don't think attraction has been an issue. Um, this business has grown much faster than any, any of us ever imagined. Um, the biggest issue right now is, bringing on more production online. So, you know, building facilities and uh, the supply chain issues with getting our equipment online uh, and getting them to the factory, um, dealing with steel and things of that sort.
2: Thank you so much for digging so deep into that for us. I, I, I do want to change our focus a little bit because I feel like Beacon Chain is a very interesting um solution that you've been working on uh can you talk a little bit about the motivation behind the concept and how it works
0: yeah yeah Beacon chain um basically it's the motivation started with me um i had invested some 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 funds into uh, well let me go back i I, i'm i'm passionate about bison meat i you know as a workout enthusiast Um, when I looked at the health content and I love red meat, I looked at the health content of bison and looked at the nutritional profile being very similar to salmon, you know, we invested some money in raising bison. Um, and then very quickly spending more time on cattle ranches, um, and other livestock like bison and elk, I I realized that that was also an industry that had not been disrupted for a very long time. And, you know, um, ranchers had a lot of things that they needed um you know understanding when their animals were ready for uh calving artificial insemination understanding when animals were um, going off bounds out you know into dangerous territory where there's wolves or coyotes so really putting data behind animal behavior and you know we went down that path where we uh we worked with purdue university uh, out in lafayette indiana and um, we had a partner in the U.S., uh, in the U.S. as well as in the U.K. And we de- we designed these uh, tags that would go on the ears of cows or other livestock, large livestock, and it would measure um, a number of things. You know, the, the gyroscopes and in there, and uh, we we we'd use artificial intelligence to understand herd and individual animal behavior. So uh it's it it, it was a very exciting business um now the issue with covid hit and naturally the the prices of livestock went down the drain Uh, restaurants had closed there was very little demand for for higher end meats the price of cattle bison elk all plummeted and it didn't make and has not recovered since. So, and it, it didn't make economic sense for ranchers out in the open to spend the level of money on monitoring uh, per head that they were before. It was cheaper to hire labor. Um, it's a different story for dairy farms, um, and I think there's still a market for dairy farms. Um, so, those are some of the challenges we faced since COVID, um, and we're still trying to figure out how to recover from that.
1: yeah, that's really like Arturo said uh, that's very interesting Abu, and it really is. Thank you for that unique example. I love how your you know personal passion for health um kind of took you down that journey. Um and honestly, it's kind of uh, making me think of something we we do ask people frequently during these interviews, which is, you know, you're a person of such varied interests and and skills. Is there a problem that? You would like to use I, your knowledge I and I passion question that you need. haven't delved
0: into, um, yet. and I keep asking myself that all the time: Is is there a problem out there that I am, I am very passionate about that I would like to solve? Um, and you know, I stopped angel investing once um, we started working with Nexi about three years in 2019. Uh, I have not written any other checks. Um, I've been focused on this and I keep telling myself that, you know, in the, in the number of years, I will probably have an itch to start a a whole new enterprise. And right now there's a lot of problems out there um, that I think could be solved. But I haven't pinpointed one that, um, that, that gives me enough of a fire and passion to go out there to, to build and solve. Um, right now, I think sustainable housing um, is is a huge one. And before doing that, we probably have to, you know, do the multifamily housing, work on the commercial and industrial because that is just the low-hanging fruit. Um, the residential becomes very, very difficult um, and we will eventually crack that egg. So I think that's that's the problem I'm trying to solve at the moment and I'm laser-focused on that.
2: Thank you so much. I think it's so interesting to hear about different ways that we focus and where your focus is at the moment. I really do appreciate that. Um now, you went to one of the boot camps. Can you tell me a little bit about what motivated you to choose to go to one of the boot camps, and if there were any tools or experiences or m- people you met who particularly contributed to your journey since then?,
0: I think that boot camp changed my life. you know. I, I had been kind of going along with a number of businesses, flipping houses. I was, I owned a proprietary trading floor where we traded, uh, they traded stocks on NASDAQ, New York and, uh, Nikkei. So i had been in a lot of different businesses throughout my years and, you know, I was successful in some and failed it <laughs> a lot more and, um, you know at that point i had just started uh, working with the bison business and trying to figure out how to to really um innovate and i think that was the key thing that i was missing is understanding that there are defined steps to innovation and that boot camp and you know the mentors that we had there and the facilitators it changed my life it put a whole new trajectory on my life um you know i i had never I think I would written, I had not even looked at working with other startups in the past. That was not something I was interested in. Uh, I didn't even understand how like, there was a startup culture um, well enough until I went to the boot camp. And I think in, in that short period of time, seeing the passion of other entrepreneurs, understanding that there is a defined way um, of, of, um, of, Building entrepreneurship, that mindset, um, that that you could follow steps if you had the passion within you. There is a guide that you can actually follow. There's mentorship available. There's similar people who you could, uh, um, you know, you could you feel you 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 share energy with. Um, I think it set me in the right in the right trajectory for sure, and has changed my life significantly since then. Um, so you know if anybody is is has an entrepreneurial uh, mindset and is looking for more directed ways to 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 grow that, um, I think it's the best program I have ever been in.
1: Well, thank you for that um, amazing review of your experience. And um, some of us have found that you know as you have, that that has just continued um, as we've met more, People um, who've gone through this program that uh, feel like-minded, and, and Founders' Voyage is kind of an expansion of that group, um, inviting our uh, like-minded friends and coworkers too. So we look forward to um, you continuing that that journey with <laughs> us too. Um, so before we let you go, shovel yourself out. I did want to hit you with one more question. I I was wondering if you wanted to leave us with some words of wisdom today. This could be a takeaway from an experience or life lesson. Um, It could be a mantra or something someone said to you can make it as long or short as you like.
0: Yeah, no, I I think, I think there's two things that I'd like to leave you with is, you know, one of my mentors, uh, somebody I value so much uh, in my life. He's been, he's been outstanding. Um, One of the things he told me, you know, when I was younger was, if you want to be successful, write three things down every day that are important for you to accomplish and get them done. Um, So I think that's, you know, that level of granularity helps you get things done. Um, So that's one thing that I will always share. Um, The second thing that I have always lived behind is uh, ignore unsolicited advice. Uh, If you're not asking for advice and people just come and give it to you, they don't understand context, uh, I usually ignore it and put, you know, I'll listen to it and I'll kind of file it in the right place. But um, don't let people's unsolicited advice keep you down. And number three, I think is the most important is, you know, life is so short. um, Pursue your passions. And there is a huge sea of people. Who will support you through those passions who have similar passions as you do and who will become your tribe and I think I found that um, through some of the connections I made in the in the boot camp program and also through following that using you know some of the skills I had learned and understanding that there are people out there like me building a community around me so um, pursue your passions, find your tribe and go out there and solve a, a problem that's happening in the world. Um, you only live once make the most of it, and um, you're not going to be there alone. Absolutely.
2: Thank you so much for those words of wisdom. I really appreciate it. do want to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us all today.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you also to everyone who joined us today. We really appreciate everyone bringing their perspective and energy to today's discussion. Nancy and I and the team behind Founders Voyage feel fortunate to be a part of bringing this community and these discussions every week. We, we would love to have you join us again next week or in future.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for
2: joining us, everyone, and have a great day, morning, evening, ahead,
1: wherever you are. Thanks so much, guys, I really appreciate it.
2: This has been Nancy and Spencer on Founders Voyage Weekly Podcast. Our speaker each week can be reached through our Discord server. Our intro and outro music is from the song Something for Nothing by Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band. We'll be back again next week for another episode. Until then, have a great day and continue your voyage.